0: Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. I apologize for not getting this out to your feed on election night, but please welcome to the show Miss Murray Wilson and Kathy Lewis in the CBS comedy show My Friend Irma, and then welcome the suspense radio show, Episode Cabin B13. In this first episode of My Friend Irma, in this, Irma and Jane are one day sitting in their apartment when Irma all of a sudden asks Jane what she's doing. She is holding uh, election ballots in circulars and she is folding them and getting them ready for the election day. But Irma wants to help so Irma tries to help Jane but then Al has one of his get rich quick schemes from his friend Joe saying that if he gets a political job he could have a real job. So, Irma sides with her boyfriend Al and leaves her best friend and roommate, Jane Stacy, in the dark. But later on in that episode, Irma messes Al and her future up big time. And in the second episode from this old-time radio show Suspense, cabin b-13 these men are on a cruise ship but they are told they can't go by one room in that cabin which is the number b-13 because it is haunted i hope you guys enjoy miss murray wilson and kathy lewis in the cbs comedy show my friend irma And I hope you guys also enjoy the Suspense Old Time Radio Show episode, Cabin B-13. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys, and enjoy the show. Thanks.
1: Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super creamed blend, presents.
2: Our friend Swan with my friend Irma,
1: starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just
3: a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. This will still be hot.
2: Explanation for everything. But I don't think that goes where Irma Peterson is concerned. Why do I say that? Well, a few minutes ago, I told Irma that in the Arctic Circle, the nights are six months long. And Irma
4: said, Gee,
2: when a girl goes to
4: a dance, her mother must say,
2: Be a good girl and try to get home before July. <laughs> Those things uh, jolt me, but tonight I'm too busy addressing a stack of envelopes for Richard to waste any time trying to straighten Irma out. Jane, who are you writing to? No one we know, honey. You see, Richard is greatly interested in the primary elections, and he's coming here with a stack of election circulars he wants me to mail. Circulars? Yeah, you know, there's a picture of the man, and underneath it is a description of what he's done. Oh, I know, like those pictures of Al's friends that are hanging in the post office. (laughs) No, no, this is a different kind of circular. You see, these men hold offices. They don't hold them up. (laughs) Come in.
5: Well, here they are, Jane. Hello, Irma.
2: Hello, Richard. I'll take the circulars, Richard. Gee, I've never seen you so
5: excited. Well, this is exciting and important work we're doing. If, If we can get the voters behind the reform ticket and elect our man, Robert Colby, this district will at long last be represented by an honest man in council.
4: Richard, is there any way I can help?
5: Yes, yes, you can vote.
2: No, I can't. Those voting machines always get me so confused. Well, honey, what's there to be confused about? All you do is press down a lever. Yes, but I don't know where to put the nickel. <laughs>
3: well,
2: I'll explain it to you later, Irma. Richard, is there anything else I can do for you? Uh, no,
5: no, just get the circulars out. I'm going down to headquarters and keep things moving. Oh, and uh, keep spreading the word around. Colby for councilman.
2: All right, Richard. See you later. Jane, What, sweetie? Isn't there any way I can help in the election? No, honey, electioneering is important work. It takes the toil of endless hours. Well, that's why I want to help. What good is woman suffrage if I don't get a chance to suffer? <laughs> get it, will you, honey? I'm busy. Hello? Who is
4: this? Joe? No, Joe, Al isn't here yet. Huh? You have a job for him. Oh, Joe, you're early. April Fool is ten days off.
3: <laughs>
4: oh, you're serious? Well,
2: I'll tell him to call you. Uh, goodbye. What do you think, Jane? Joe has a job for Al. How do you like that? His best friend turning on him after all these years. <laughs> Jane, uh, can I just fold the circulars for you? I want to do something. Well, honey, I don't want you to feel hurt, but I haven't got too much confidence in you ever since your cousin brought those campfire girls up here to hold a meeting. Well, I thought that a log fire would make them feel at home. Yes, honey, but we have no fireplace. (laughs) Well, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, I know, Irma, but you don't use judgment. Now, honey, look at your shoes. You paid $12 for a pair of $5 shoes. Why don't you shop around? In the future, I will. Well, look, Connie, if you really want to help me, you can run down to the post office and get me a hundred three-cent stamps. All right, Jane, and don't worry, I won't buy at the first post office I see. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm going to shop around. Oh, right.
2: Come in.
6: It's only me, Professor Kropotkin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Janie
6: and Irma, my two little cottages. One with a clinging vine, one with an empty attic. (laughs) (laughs) Kropotkin, a man like you should have been a comedian. (laughs) Janie, darling, could I borrow, please, your dark glasses?
2: Surely, why?
6: Well, if you'll excuse the expression, I'm taking Mrs. O'Reilly out tonight.
2: (laughs) Oh, now, Professor, don't try to kid us. We know you're falling more in love with her every day.
6: Janie, when a man courts his landlady, this is not love. This is known as taking the bull by the horn.
4: (laughs) Those
2: aren't horns. That's the way Miss O'Reilly combs her hair. Oh, hold it, will you, the two of you? I've got to get these circulars out for Richard. Irma, will you please hurry to the post office? All right, Jane. Now, honey, you know what to get. Yes, a $3 stamp. No, no, (laughs) no, no, a hundred three-cent stamps. Now, here, I'll write it down, sweetie, and don't shop around, please. Goodbye. Goodbye.
6: Janie, what's all this correspondence here?
2: Oh, this. Well, Richard and the Reform Party are trying to get Robert Colby elected in the primary so we can get good, honest representative and throw honest Jim Blake right out of office.
6: That I'm for. That honest Jim is such a crook, when he's campaigning, he couldn't kiss a baby without stealing the diaper pin.
2: (laughs) Well, that's why we're all working so hard to get Colby in office. You know, Professor, you could help. You tell all the customers at the Gypsy Tea Room to vote for Colby for honest government.
6: Well, I'll tell them, Janie, but I don't think it's going to help. Why not? After they eat at the Gypsy Tea Room, they are not thinking of good government. They are more interested in a good doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, Janie, is Irma helping you elect Colby? No. Then he's got the chance.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's got to win. An honest Jim must go. Professor, how about wearing a Colby for Consulman pin? Oh, I'd be glad to. Here, here you are. Oh. No, no, Professor, not on your trousers. On your jacket. Please,
6: Janie, I know where the pin is needed the most. But
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you
6: can count on me. Goodbye.
2: Bye. Oh, honestly, I'll never get these circulars out. Never. Hello? Who? Oh, Joe? No, Al isn't here yet Well, you know Monday is his busy day That's when he stands outside of the Yankee Stadium And waits for balls to come over the fence (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll have him call you, Joe Come in Hiya, Jane Where's Chicken? Oh, she went on an errand for me, Al You know, your friend Joe's been calling like mad all day trying to get you
7: (laughs) That guy's uncanny But he ain't cutting in on this deal It's my own idea. It's a birth certificate with an adjustable calendar for dames who are getting old.
2: (laughs) Al, will you believe me? I'm not interested. And I'd appreciate it if you'd call Joe before he wears out the phone. Burma comes back. I'm downstairs getting some ink from Mrs. O'Reilly. Tell her, huh?
7: Dynamic thing. Must be a thyroid condition. (laughs) Well, while she's gone, must make that telephone call. And there's only one man to call. Who else but... Hello,
3: Joe? <laughs> Al,
7: what is your problem? A job for me? Joe, what did I ever do that major Saw?
3: <laughs>
7: no kidding. You mean I get $5,000 a year? Joe, it sounds too good to be honest. Oh, it ain't honest. It's a political job. Well, Joe, what sort of work do I do? You see, I couldn't take the taxpayer's money for nothing. Huh? I'll have an important duty to perform. I keep whales out of Central Park Lake. (laughs) Joe, there ain't no whales in Central Park Lake. Oh, in an election year, you never ask questions. So what do I do to get the job, Joe? Uh Uh Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. I'd be glad to campaign for him. He's a good man. You can count on me. Goodbye, Joe. Oh,
4: hello, Al, honey.
7: Well, what's the matter, Chicken? Why so glum?
4: I bought these stamps for Jane Chicken, you
7: got the stamps all pasted on a cardboard.
4: Well, the wind was blowing, I was afraid I'd lose them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee, I don't know why Jane has no confidence in me.
7: Forget it, Chicken. Golden days are ahead. Before you know it, little Al will be making $5,000 a year.
4: Oh, Al, they'll catch you and destroy your printing press. (laughs)
7: No, Chicken, you know I wouldn't be a counterfeiter. This is legitimate. we got to help elect the one man who can give us clean, decent government. Who, Al? Honest Jim Blake.
4: Oh, but, Al, Jane and Richard are campaigning for Robert Colby. They say Jim Blake is a crook.
7: Chicken, it ain't exactly being
4: crooked. You see, politicians figure they got to get what
7: they can while they're in office because the public forgets them so quickly. You take President Hoover, in office four years, and what's his reward? Got his name on a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) And and Adams got his name on a hat. Lincoln is on a penny. And Wilson is on a ham. It's enough to frustrate an honest man.
4: Oh, but but the papers say Jim Blake is the most dishonest man that was ever in office.
7: Just propaganda, chicken. Look at the things he's done for the city. Take that that beautiful highway he built last year.
4: But it cracked in two weeks.
7: Well, Jim couldn't help that. Strong weeds.
4: (laughs) How about that bridge he built It fell down in three days Well, honest,
7: Jim Couldn't help it If the rain dissolved the cement
4: <laughs>
7: Besides, honey You're looking at the bad side of him Look at the good he's done Built his wife a beautiful home Gave her a mink coat <laughs> Gave his brother a pardon
4: There's
7: a man with a heart <laughs> Gee, Earl,
4: I, I don't know what to do I, Gosh, I hate to work against Jane
7: Chicken Face this thing realistically I love you. And with five G's a year coming in, we can get married. And there'll be no more of those long hours going to work every day. You can get a part-time job.
4: (laughs) You'd really marry me, Al?
7: Why, sure, I'd marry you, chicken. You think I like sleeping on park benches every day until four in the afternoon? I want to have a home to do that in.
4: I don't know what to say. Do you think Jane will be angry with me if I help you? Well,
7: Chicken, you know Jane has no confidence in you.
4: Well, that's true. She has lost a little confidence in me. Ever since I mixed the brown and white shoe polish together for my sport shoes. <laughs> <laughs>
7: well, what do you say, Chicken? Will you help me with Honest Jim's campaign?
4: All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it because I know it means you'll marry me. And it'll show Jane I'm smart enough to mix in politics, too.
7: That's the spirit, Chicken. But remember, we don't let Jane know that we're working for the opposition. If they want to work for Colby, okay. We're for Blake.
4: All right, Al. Gee, I'm so excited about you and politics. Who knows? Someday you may be governor and I'll be your wife.
7: Never can tell, chicken.
4: Imagine me, a governess. <laughs>
1: Hey, ladies, you can tell a lot about a soap just by feeling it. Next time you unwrap a cake of swan, run your fingers over the surface. Feel how it differs from other soaps. It feels smoother. As Susie Swan says,
8: Swan is really different. The feel of swan will tell you in a minute. Just feel a cake of swan and you will see That swan is different as can be The reason, friend, It's super cream blend, says Susie.
1: Yes, only Swan has this exclusive super cream blend. That makes Swan differ from other soaps. And ladies, you can feel the difference when you run your fingers over a cake of Swan. It feels smoother. And when you take your bath, scoop up some of the luscious Swan lather. It feels different too, creamier, richer. That's why Swan does an extra mild, extra thorough cleansing job on your skin. That's why a swan bath is such a pleasure. And what's more, swan's exclusive super-creamed blend makes swan cleanse so gently, rinse away so thoroughly, that your skin looks smoother, fresher, younger. Yes, don't ever forget, the swan look is a young look.
2: Well, the campaign for Robert Colby is just going wonderfully. I never knew life could be so hectic, but I love it. Richard and I have been working day and night, but we're too thrilled to be tired. We're going to put an honest man in office and nothing is going to stop us. In fact, we're at a big rally now singing our campaign song. Vote for
3: Colby, vote for Colby, he will never fail.
5: sure that we'll elect Colby.
6: Sure. Hello,
2: Janey. Oh, Richards. Professor, I'm so glad you could come to the rally. Yeah,
6: Mrs. O'Reilly stood me up. She said I insulted her.
2: Why?
6: She wanted to go to a horse show. I told her she wouldn't have a chance.
7: <laughs> oh, oh chicken, ain't this some rally? Boy, if Jane and Richard could only see us now, they'd know they'll lick.
2: Al, I've been doing a lot of good work Al, what do you
7: mean, Chicken?
4: Well, I think Honest Jim has been wasting his time He's kissing all the babies, but they can't vote (laughs) What about it? I've been kissing their fathers (laughs) Chicken,
7: you don't have to overdo it Uh, By the way, did you get rid of all those circulars I gave you?
4: Yeah Good, good And where I got rid of them, no one will ever find them (laughs) Chicken,
7: I meant to give them out, not hide them
4: Well, Al, isn't there anything more I can do?
7: No, no, Chicken. Don't want you to overwork your little mind.
4: (laughs) Oh, I haven't been overworking it, honey. I I hardly know it's there.
7: (laughs) Well, Chicken, that's enough for today. You go home and don't forget, tell all your friends to vote for Blake.
4: All right, Al. Gee, I can't wait until you get the job and we get married. My my hope chest is all ready. I I just put in six baseballs, three tennis rackets, and a pair of skis.
7: What's the idea, Chicken?
4: Well, i read written a book that a wife should be a good sport.
2: <laughs> Hi, honey. Where have you been? Oh, places. Places? What are you doing with that Jim Blake pin? Irma, you're not electioneering for that crook. Well,
4: Al says he's not so bad, and, and if he's elected, Al will get a job, and Al promised to marry
2: me. Sweetie, if I bought a box of rice every time Al promised to marry you, the Chinese wouldn't have anything left to eat.
4: <laughs> oh,
2: but, you know, I love Al, and
4: I, I want to get married. I want children, a home, and a place to put all those
2: statues I want at Coney Island. <laughs> I know you do, honey. But, but what would bother your conscience to wake up every morning and say, Irma Peterson, you're a bad citizen? I suppose so, but it'll bother me
4: more to wake up every night and say, Irma Peterson, you're an old maid.
2: (laughs) Well, honey, it's your life, and since I know Honest Jim doesn't have a chance, you can do what you want. Oh, thanks, Jane. I I want to practice what I'm going to say to the girls at the office tomorrow. Well, there stands Irma in front of the mirror and it's a sight that would make Patrick Henry turn over in his grave. She's evidently practicing the gestures that she's going to make in her speech, but such gestures I have never seen. Now she's shaking her fist. Now she's waving her arms in defiance. She's evidently scored her points. She's also knocked the clock off the mantle. Now she's shaking her finger and she's pointing to her head. This can only mean that Blake is solid. <laughs> now she's taken the Manhattan telephone directory and she's holding it over her head with all her strength. Irma. Honey, what's the idea of that? Well, I want to show him that Blake will carry New York. Oh, you're ridiculous. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. Oh, Richard. Well, what's the matter? You, your face is white as a sheet.
5: Jane, I'm afraid that all of our work has been in vain. Look at this headline.
2: What's it about, Richard? I'm too nervous to read it.
5: Well, honest Jim Blake and his machine have dug up a scandal about Colby that'll cost us every woman's vote.
2: What was it?
5: They claim that 18 years ago he struck his wife. And on Mother's Day.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, it can't be true. No,
5: it isn't. It was just an unfortunate accident. He just happened to trip with a hammer in his hand. (laughs) Yes, but Blake has distorted the story.
2: Oh, Richard, what can we do? Well, I
5: understand that Blake is addressing the heads of all the women's clubs at Sloan's Hall tonight. Now, we have to go there with Colby so he can prove his innocence.
2: Yeah, all right, Richard, but I'd, I'd like to inform you that we have a Benedict Arnold in our midst. <laughs>
4: oh, he won't help you, Jane. We've got important people, too. Uh, Jack- <laughs> Jane, you mean that Irma
5: is campaigning for that thief, Blake? Y-
4: yes, I I am.
5: Well, I'm surprised at you. Come on, Jane. And goodbye, Irma.
2: Goodbye, Irma. Vote
3: for Jim Blake. Vote for Jim Blake. Square and got you no.
7: What's the matter, Chicken?
4: Richard and Jane are mad at me because I'm trying to help Jim Blake. Gosh, are you sure he's honest?
7: I already told you, Chicken.
4: Are you sure you'll marry me if I help him win?
7: Am I sure? Chicken, I already told three of the boys to stay out of trouble because I might need them for ushers.
4: Um. (laughs) All right, Al.
7: And Chicken, tonight's the night you can really help the campaign. You see, Honest Jim is going to address the women's club at Sloan's Hall tonight.
4: Well, that's where Jane and Richard are going. Oh, we'll
7: make monkeys out of them. Now, the chief wants you to come up out of the audience like you wasn't rehearsed and testify that Honest Jim is the lady's friend. We've got to swing the women's vote.
4: But, Al, oh, why did they pick on me?
7: Chicken, there's more chance of you saying the right thing you don't know him. I mean, uh, <laughs> they,
4: they,
7: they, they don't want anybody too professional-looking. They want somebody with charm and, and personality and... What the French call, c'est la guerre.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Al. I'll do it if only for our children's sake. (laughs) Yeah, every time I see children, I get goose pimples. Of course, you wouldn't understand. You'll never know what it is to be a mother. (laughs)
7: <laughs> well, Chicken, now you got the right spirit, and it'll teach Jane not to underestimate us.
4: That's right. She wouldn't let me on her bandwagon. Well, before I'm through, even my friends will want to take me for a ride.
7: Well, Chicken, this is Sloan's Hall. Now, when we get inside, it's up to you to help swing the women's vote for Honest Jim.
4: But, Al, when they call me up from the audience, what should I say?
7: Well, just say that uh, you don't know Honest Jim personally, but people say he will undertake everything that good government stands for.
4: Undertake everything uh, good government stands for? Well, that's easy. I'll remember that, Al.
7: Well, Chicken. (laughs) And remember, my job, our whole future together depends on this. Let's go inside. Hey, Chicken, look, Richard's about to speak.
4: And Jane are, are for Colby, and we're for Blake. I feel like that Japanese spy, Harry Carey. <laughs> <laughs> Shh.
7: Richard's going to speak.
5: Ladies of the Metropolitan District, as you know, honest Jim Blake has cooked up a smear campaign to besmirch the good name of our candidate, Robert Colby. And I think it is only fair that you hear the true story from his own lips. And here he is. The Honorable Robert Colby. Ladies.
2: <laughs> Ladies. Oh, please. Oh, listen to me. Please. Let, let, oh. uh, let, let the man have a chair. Richard. Richard, they won't even let him speak. You
5: know, that's Jim Blake's doing. He's got oh. his co-workers out there to influence the other women.
2: Oh, Richard, you mean we have no chance? No, nothing
5: could win the election now. Nothing. Oh,
2: look at that pompous crook, honest Jim Blake. <laughs> and He's getting up on the platform. Look how cocky he is, Richard.
9: You all know me, I'm Miss Jim Blake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank
9: you, thank you, lovely ladies, mothers, sisters, aunts, nieces. In fact, all of this lovely feminine palcretude. It has been contended by my opposition that I am a thief. They will tell you I stole $1,842,000 from the taxpayers. I tell you, ladies, and I give you my solemn word. Those figures are incorrect. (laughs) My opponents also contend that I secured my office through acts of violence. This is not true, and my former opponent... Would personally deny that if he were alive today. (laughs) But why should I ask you to take my word? Surely somewhere in the audience is someone who does not know me, yet knows the good that I've done. Get ready, chicken. That's you. Step forward. Anyone at all. Ah, here's a charming young lady who are you young lady
4: I'm anybody at all
9: Uh, fine fine you don't know me young lady do you
4: no I just know the fellow that works for you
9: (laughs) mere coincidence now uh, will you tell these wonderful ladies what you think of me
4: Uh, well let me remember oh I know Uh, ladies I don't know Honest Jim personally But I know he will take everything the government will stand for. Uh, uh,
9: I'm sure this young lady is just a little nervous.
4: Yes, and I can't understand it. I was rehearsed so well. Come on, chicken, run. But, but Al, what about your
2: $5,000? You'll need that for flowers. trying to gather my senses, all I remember of the women's meeting was that it ended with Honest Jim chasing Irma and Al down the aisle with a fire axe. (laughs) This evidently convinced the women voters that Honest Jim wasn't exactly the fatherly type, for they have elected Robert Colby to consul almost unanimously. Now Irma thinks that she's America's foremost election authority. In fact, last night I said, Irma, I see where they're talking about making MacArthur president. And Irma said, Oh, I don't think so. Edgar Bergen would never let him go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Bergen ever needs another dummy, he can borrow my friend Irma. <laughs> One night, I noticed Irma doing something very strange, even for her. And I said, honey, why are you putting those watercolors on top of the swan soap? And Irma said,
4: well, Jane, I thought maybe the swan might want to color some of her eggs for Easter.
1: (laughs) Oh, Irma, (laughs) always being thoughtful about your swan soap. Well, that follows. Swan does a lot for you, too, like the wonderful skin care you get. The wonderful pleasure you get when you make your bath a swan bath. You see, ladies, swan alone has that exclusive super creamed blend. Why, even the way a cake of swan feels tells you that it differs from other soaps. Swan has an extra smoothness you can actually feel in the cake itself. You can feel a difference in the lather, too. Swan's lather feels richer and creamier. And after a swan bath, your skin feels different. Because thanks to Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend, that Swan lather rinses away so completely, your skin fairly glows with freshness and life. Looks softer, smoother, younger. No wonder the Swan look is a young look. My Friend Irma presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to...
4: Our friend, Swan, with
2: my friend, Irma.
1: Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Ladies, listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious, and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound... Frank Bingman speaking.
3: Spry takes the light and high. Spry, there's a reason why. Spry takes improver's high. Rely on Spry.
1: Yes, there's a reason why Spry is the cake making wonder. Spry has an amazing cake improver secret. Try the Spry one bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has Spry's cake improver. For new cake-making success, rely on Spry, the pure all-vegetable shortening.
3: Rely on Spry, S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry,
1: S-P-R-Y. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater, immediately followed by My Friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
10: Suspense. This is the Man in Black, here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. In Hollywood this evening, our two distinguished stars are the lovely actress Margot and the polished young actor from Holland, Mr. Philip Dorn. A story by John Dixon Carr dealing with strange... Very strange happenings aboard an ocean liner and called Cabin B-13 is tonight's tale of Suspense. If you have been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so with Cabin B-13... And with the performances of Margot as Anne Brewster and Philip Dorn as Doctor Karl Heinrich, we again hope to keep you in suspense. Come now, in happier peacetime days, to a great ocean liner on the night of her departure for Europe. There she is at the West 22nd Street Pier, the 25,000-ton Moravania of the White Planet Line. Smoke from her three funnels coils up lazily in mild October air. You can see the decks, white and shiny like shoeboxes, and the string of lights along them, and the band standing by on a deck to play her out. You can hear the murmur of an excited crowd, and the rattle of the steam winches as cargo is lowered into the hole. You can see the bustle of activity and the second officer standing at the head of the gangplank as two rather late passengers hurry through the customs shed towards that gangplank.
11: It's all right, Ricky. We are not too late. No,
10: and I thought we'd be in time.
11: A honeymoon in Europe. Three whole months with nothing to worry about. That's right.
12: And you've been my wife for, let's see, practically five hours now. I believe the correct phrase is, is...
11: Ah, it was so sudden, Mr. Brewster. <laughs>
12: <laughs> so sudden that we have to travel on our own passports instead of a husband and wife one. <laughs> I hope they don't think you're not an honest woman.
11: I'm going to act like a complete wanton, just a devil. You. <laughs> oh, what about our tickets, Ricky? Do we give them to that officer standing at the top of the gangplank? Oh,
12: no, honey, you keep your ticket. The cabin steward will come around and collect it after we're underway.
11: And the money, Ricky?
12: Mm, it's a lot of money, Ann, I... $10,000 in cash. Maybe I'd better turn it in at the Purse's office for safekeeping.
11: Yes, maybe you had. Wait a minute, Ricky. What is it, then? Wait. Do you mind if we stand here for a second before we go up the gangplank? Oh, well, what's the
12: matter? You're not ill, are you?
11: No, but... getting over brain fever isn't any joke. Oh, I know, dear. You see, Ricky, I... I ought to be eager and excited like all those people up there, but suddenly you get fancies. Queer, sick fancies. Suddenly, right now, all I can think of is the night and the wind and all the black water and the dark.
12: And that's exactly the kind of morbid fancy I'm trying to cure you of.
11: I know, Ricky. I- I'll be good, but I was just thinking of a story. What story? Oh, never mind. It-, it doesn't matter. Which way do we go?
12: Up the gangplank, through that door there, and then down on the elevator to B-deck. And no more horrors, do you understand? Now, uh-huh. uh, here we are in B deck and cabin number. Good Lord, B thirteen.
11: B thirteen.
12: You're not superstitious, are you?
11: Why, no, dear, not about things like that. Open the door.
12: Here we are. Lights on and... Oh,
11: Ricky, darling, it's a beautiful cabin.
12: Well, best I could get. Well, i have got a luggage in anyway, and over there, madam, you'll find a basket of fruit and some books from your obedient servant.
11: Oh, you are nice to me. And I'm feeling so much better, Ricky. I will be all right, darling. <laughs> of course you will.
12: But uh, you won't find any detective novels among those books. Please.
11: please, please, Ricky.
12: Detective novels may be all right for presidents and college professors, but... They're straight poison to you. You'll read love stories and like it.
11: You know, Ricky, I keep thinking and thinking about that story I mentioned.
12: What story, dear?
11: It's an old one. You probably know it, but it was new to me. A woman and her daughter arrive in Paris and go to a hotel. Oh,
12: you mean the old Paris exposition story?
11: Yes, that's it. The daughter goes out. When she returns, her mother has disappeared. And even the hotel room isn't the same. The proprietor of the hotel swears the girl came there alone and that there never was a mother. The whole room is different when she goes back to look at it. The girl goes to the police and they won't believe her and she's nearly crazy. Of course, it turns out that the mother has caught bubonic plague and died. And they're hushing it up so that the visitors won't keep away from the city and ruin the whole exposition. But
12: you've got to stop this kind of talk.
11: I know. But imagine being in a situation like that with all those queer eyes staring at you. Wondering if you'd lost your reason. Wondering if your brain had cracked and the whole world might dissolve and... Listen.
12: That's the last call, Anne. we will be underway any minute now.
11: You know, Ricky, I would like to see the skyline go past and the Statue of Liberty and the rest of it.
12: Oh, then why not go up and see it? I've got to deposit this money in the purse's office on CD. But...
11: I, I I don't like you to leave me. Oh,
12: now look here, dear. You don't think I'm going to disappear, do you?
11: I suppose I don't, really. When I get these ideas, and I can't help it, Ricky, I wish you'd wallop me. <laughs> well,
12: I'm not going to wallop you, I... Anne. but you've got to stop being afraid. You certainly won't disappear in a crowded ship with any number of people all around you. As for me, <laughs> I defy Houdini himself to make me vanish. Don't
11: talk like that.
12: I'm not going to vanish, and neither is this cabin, dear. Now run along. I'll join you on deck as soon as I can.
11: All right, Ricky. I'll
7: be good. <laughs>
3: eager people excited people happy people all crowding up to the rail to wave goodbye
11: nothing to worry about nothing on their minds except
13: except what oh except seasickness madam oh well i beg your pardon i hadn't meant to startle you believe me
11: please don't mention it how silly of me it was my fault i i haven't been very well
13: i noticed it madam if you'll forgive me that was why i spoke to you As you see by my uniform, I'm the ship's doctor.
11: This is a British ship, isn't it? But you don't sound British.
13: No, I'm an Austrian, madam. Dr. Paul Henry, at your service. I'm not very popular in my own country today. Days of colored shirts and vacant minds.
11: I'm Mrs. Brewster, doctor. And Brewster. When does the ship go?
13: In about a second, Mrs. Brewster. You will hear the whistle, then the band will strike up, all langs in, and then...
11: We're moving, aren't we? Yes.
13: Oh. Don't you feel the vibration of the engines? Come on, Tommy. Take care of
3: yourself brother. Come on, dear. I'll see, see you at Christmas. You oh. oh, the key to the car is in the living room table floor. you go Yes, dear, of
9: course I'll behave myself in Paris. Say, what time does the bar open aboard this
13: tower? I imagine this is not your first crossing, madam. Oh,
11: I'm afraid it is, Dr. Heinrich. My husband's crossed many times, he tells me, but not on this ship.
13: Well, then I hope you're a good sailor.
11: Why, Dr. Henry.
13: Well, because we'll run into some very dirty weather once we are out at sea. October is a very bad month for traveling.
11: Well, if I do get seasick, doctor, I'll rush straight to you, and I'll expect to be cured.
13: <laughs> Let me tell you a secret, madam. There are two common ailments for which medical science has no cure. One is ordinary seasickness, and the other is hangover. <laughs> tomorrow morning I shall be dealing with both.
11: And enjoying it?
13: Oh, no, 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 no. Sympathizing with it. <laughs> That's all I can do. How do you like the being
11: Oh, it's a magnificent ship from what I've seen of it. And you know they've given us a very nice cabin down on B-deck, B-13. What's the matter? Why are you looking at me like that?
13: I beg your pardon. Did you say B-13?
11: Yes. Why not?
13: You're quite sure of that, madam?
11: Why, well, yes, of course I'm sure of it. I I saw the number on the door. Why not?
13: Well, because.
11: Go on, Dr. Heinrich.
13: Because there's no such cabin aboard a ship. I'm not joking, Mrs. Brewster. You see, some people are superstitious. Many ships, like this one, omit number thirteen on each deck. You must have been mistaken.
11: What are you trying to tell me? Do you think I saw something that wasn't there?
13: No, no, Mrs. Brewster, not at all.
11: Then come along I with only... me. I'll show you. I'll prove to you that there is a number 13. Will you come along?
13: Yes, Mrs. Brewster. I think perhaps I had better escort you. Stewardess, stewardess. Yes,
11: miss. Yes,
8: miss. Yes, ma'am. Come in straight away. Tell me, stewardess, this is B-deck,
11: isn't it? B-deck, ma'am? Oh yes, ma'am. No doubt about that. Dr. Heinrich and I have been all over this part of the ship looking for cabin number 13, but we have I've been
13: trying to convince this lady stewardess that there's no such cabin, uh, cabin number 13 on this ship.
11: Why,
8: there's sure to heaven isn't, ma'am, and never has been. I've served aboard the Moravine a
11: matter of eight years, and I ought to know. But I tell you, I saw it. I was in there... It was a big cabin with a private bathroom attached. The walls were paneled in light oak and the furniture was rosewood and yellow satin and the portholes were like real windows. Well, no, that's not much good, ma'am.
8: No,
13: I'm afraid not. Most of the cabins hereabouts look like that. May I ask you, what name was the cabin booked in?
11: Brewster, naturally. Mr. and Mrs. Richard E. Brewster. Here, let's have a look on my list. Now... No,
8: there's no Brewster here, ma'am. I tell you, I was
11: in there. They even delivered the luggage. I saw it.
8: Excuse me, ma'am, but I had a look-see in all the cabins I'm in charge of, just to see if the passengers wanted anything. And I don't remember any luggage with a Brewster label
11: on it. Wait a minute. There may be a partial explanation of this.
13: Ah, you see, that's better, Mrs. Brewster. I was hoping you might find one.
11: Ricky, that's my husband. Ricky and I have only been married a very short time, and... When my maid printed the baggage labels, she she must have made them out in my maiden name. I never noticed at the time. Oh, what name might that be, ma'am? Thornton. And marie Thornton.
3: Oh,
8: Lord, miss. Now, why couldn't you have said that before? Well, I remember it well. Um, two silk cases and a little trunk. They're in B-16 now. Where's B-16? Well, right behind you, miss. You're standing practically in front of the door. Oh, thank goodness, Oh, yes, but, uh, what about my husband's luggage? There's no gentleman's luggage in that cabin, Miss. Your husband's or any other gentleman's, if you know what I mean. I won't stand for this.
11: Where's Ricky? What have you done with Ricky?
13: Please, Mrs. Brewster. There's oh. one easy way to settle this.
11: Settle it? How?
13: Just look down the corridor. You notice the man coming towards us? The man with the two gold stripes around his sleeve?
11: Well?
13: That's Mr. Marshal, our second officer. Did you ever see him before?
11: I uh, yes. Yes, of course I have. He was standing at the top of the gangplank when Rick and I got aboard. Mm,
13: exactly. So he might be able to tell us something. Oh. Mr. Marshall? Mr. Marshall? Yes, Doctor, what's up? Would you mind coming here for a moment? Well, not at all, old boy. Always glad to oblige a chap who may have to cut me up at any moment. Eh? <laughs> what may I do for you? Take a good look at this young lady? And well? tell me, have you seen her before? seen her before, <laughs> my dear chap. If I had
14: overlooked, uh, the young lady will pardon me, I know, a passenger as charming as this lady is, I would be less of the gentleman than I fancy, my dear <laughs>
13: You saw her coming, coming aboard tonight? Oh, yes, certainly. And, uh, of course, you saw the gentleman who was with her. The uh, gentleman who was with her?
11: Yes, yes, yes.
13: Oh, uh, but there was nobody with her, old boy. You're quite certain of that, Mr. Marshall. My dear doctor, she was the last of them to come aboard.
6: I take my Bible oath, there was no other passenger with her. Or ahead of her, or behind her, if it comes to that. You're
11: lying, you're lying to me. Please,
6: please,
13: Mrs. Bruce, lower your voice.
11: I know what it is. It's the old Paris trick. Like in the story. But you won't get away with it, do you hear? Now, look here, madam. I'll go to the purser, I'll go to the captain. Oh, dear father in heaven, won't anybody believe me? (laughs)
10: Later that night. In the captain's room, just above the bridge, there is a conference of ships' officers. Outside, stung by spray, clinging to the bulkhead rail in the dark, a frightened girl waits until the door of the cabin's room opens.
14: Will you bring the young lady in, Dr. Hyde? Close the door.
10: Yes, sir. Here we are.
13: This is Captain Wainwright. Now, just tell your story straightforwardly, and uh,
14: please don't excite yourself. Well, um, maybe we can get some decision into this matter. Would you sit down here beside my desk, Miss Thornton?
11: My name is Brewster, Captain. Mrs. Ann Brewster. Ah,
14: whatever you say, Mrs. Brewster.
11: Thank you very much, Captain.
14: I might tell you, ma'am, I've got a lot on my mind already. The first officer comes aboard with an attack of flu. I'm facing an equinoctial gale, short-handed. And now this has to happen on top of it.
11: I'm terribly sorry. I can't help that, Captain. But I want to know what they've done with Ricky.
14: Just one moment, please, while I get this straight. For this time, I understand, you yourself have personally interviewed practically every single passenger aboard this ship. Is that true?
11: Yes, it's true.
14: But your alleged husband is not here. Is that true?
11: Yes, that's true, but In the meantime,
14: the purser has sent a squad of men to search this ship. They've searched every inch of it. You can take my word for that. There's nobody hidden. Your husband's not here. According to Mr. Marshall, who's standing over there... I see him. According to Mr. Marshall, he never was here. Hang it all, Miss Thornton. You needn't glare at me like that. We couldn't see the chap. He wasn't there, now could we? Be quiet, Mr. Marshall. Yes, I'm sorry. No, I'm... I'm not unreasonable, Mrs. Brewster. I think you'll admit that. But what can I do? What can I say... Can you offer any proof, even, that this husband of yours ever existed? Proof?
11: Yes, of course I can. I...
13: Excuse me for interrupting, but Would you mind, Captain, if he ask a question or two? No, Doctor,
14: go ahead. I tell you, I'm going daft myself.
13: If you were married, Mrs. Brewster, you must be carrying a joint husband and wife passport. Where is that?
11: Well, there wasn't time to get one. We each carried our own passport.
13: Oh, I see. But still, there must be someone back in America who can confirm what you say if you got in touch by a radio telephone. Your parents, for instance.
11: I haven't got any parents. They're dead.
13: What about relatives, then, or a guardian?
11: My guardian is a trust company. The administrators don't even know I'm married.
13: But somebody must have performed the ceremony of marriage. The past and
14: the justice of peace. Yes, of course, of course. But,
11: oh, I... I, I can't remember the name of the town.
14: You don't remember the name of the town? Well, thank you to your chair, Mrs. Brewster. The ship is going to pitch again. How's the glass looking, Mr. Marshall? Uh, oh, the uh, barometer's rising, sir. This weather won't hold long. We shall be in the fog before morning. Uh? We are in a fog now, if you ask me. This lady says she... I'm
11: can... terribly sorry, but I, I, I'm trying to think of it. It was a little town in upstate New York where they can marry you at a moment's notice. Ricky kept the certificate. I... I was confused. I haven't been well.
13: No, you haven't.
11: You see, Ricky had been away, and he came back, and I was in love with him, and he... He sort of swept me off my feet, and... Oh! <laughs> what's the use? Uh,
5: not much use, apparently.
14: If you'll take my advice, ma'am, you'll go below to your cabin and get some sleep. I'll send the doctor down to mix you a sedative.
11: You think I'm crazy, don't you?
14: I, I think you're a little oh. overwrought, ma'am.
11: What I can't understand is why. Why? Why should you want to do this? It can't be the bubonic plague this time. Bubonic plague, ma'am?
14: Who said anything about the bubonic plague?
11: Never mind. But I'll show you. You're all against me except maybe the doctor. But I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. I am going downstairs and I don't want anybody to follow me. Good
14: night. Good night, all of you. Well, I'm glad that's over. Look here, Mr. Marshall. Huh? You think it's quite safe to trust her out there alone? Well, I don't know, sir. She's mad as a hatter, if you ask me. You think she might uh, do something foolish? Well, I think she might chuck herself overboard if we're not careful. What's your opinion, doctor?
13: I can give you my opinion, gentlemen, in a very few words. That girl is as sane as you are.
14: What's that? Wait and
13: hear what I have to say. i shared your own belief at first, but I've been talking to her all evening. I've heard the whole story, and there's not a psychopathic trait in her nature. She firmly believes in this husband.
14: Yes, doctor. A lot of people firmly believe they're Napoleon, but they get tossed into loony bins, as the same.
13: This matter is not a joke, Mr. Marshall. I tell you, this man exists. Or did exist.
14: What do you mean, Doctor.
13: I suppose Did he has it, been is. murdered. Perhaps he has been murdered and thrown overboard. Murdered? Thrown overboard? If you remember, Richard Brewster was carrying a very large sum of money in cash. His wife's wedding gifts. Practically all her inheritance. He meant to go to the purse's office. But he never got there. That money invited might have been a great temptation. To whom? To a stewardess, perhaps, or even to uh, to a ship's officer.
5: Just exactly what are you getting at?
13: Well, numbers on doors can be changed easily enough. Just print a small card and put it on the metal slot on the door. I still want to know you what
14: you're driving at. If you use your
13: intelligence, gentlemen, I think you'll understand how a man can be made to vanish into thin air. And uh, why, Mr. Marshall saw never another passenger? You still don't see it? No, I do not. Well, then listen, and I'll explain exactly how it's been created like
10: Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock, the hour of suicides and bad dreams. The gale has subsided, the sea is calm. The SS Moravania creeps blindly at barely eight knots through a thick and strangling fog. The whole ship is dark and sealed up in sleep. There's no sound in all that mournful dimness, except when the foghorn cries out a warning overhead. Even cabin B sixteen is dark. And Brewster, still fully dressed, lies restlessly across one of the berths, the head almost touching the intercabin telephone.
11: Uh, what was Oh I thought I heard telephone? Yes? Hello?
2: It's me, Anne. Uh, take it easy now.
11: Ricky. Ricky, where are you? Quiet.
12: Keep your voice down. Where are you, Ricky?
11: What happened to you? Are you hurt?
12: No hurt, but he nearly got me.
11: Who, oh, who nearly got you?
12: Listen, dear, I can't explain over the phone, and I don't dare go down there. Can you meet me up on deck?
11: Yes, of course. Where?
12: Do you know the boat deck?
11: Boat deck? Uh, which one is that?
12: The top deck, where all the lifeboats are slung. Oh, yes, I know it. Well, go to the starboard side. Yes. Uh, that's the right-hand side, facing yes. forward. Find the fourth lifeboat from the aft
3: companionway. Yes. There's a thick fog and nobody else see is it.
11: Ricky. What is it? Ricky! He's gone. He's gone.
8: Excuse me, miss, but I thought I heard somebody talking
11: in here. Stewardess, what are you doing up at this time of the night? If I
8: might ask, miss,
11: what are you doing up and dressed? Oh, you ought to get some sleep, miss. You really ought. It might interest you to know, stewardess, that I've just been talking to my husband. Now, look here,
8: miss. Don't start that all over again. Please, don't start that all over again. You all
11: pretended to think I was mad, didn't you? And you nearly drove me mad. Ricky's beaten the whole crowd of you, and I'm going out on deck to meet him now. Out on deck, Miss. That's what I said. Where's
8: my coat? Don't go out there, Miss. Not in the state of mind you're in. And the fog's so thick, you can't hardly see your hand in front of your face.
11: Stand away from the door, please. Suppose, Miss. I didn't want to let you go out there. I don't think that would matter much. You've probably heard that mad people have ten times ordinary strength, and I'm stronger than you anyway. Miss, I'm a begging you. Stand away from that door. You? Yes, Ricky, Ricky, darling, where are you? Here,
12: duck your head under the lifeboat. You take my hand.
11: But isn't it horribly dangerous out there on the edge? There's no no railing along the side of the ship.
12: Don't worry, Anne. I won't let you fall. Look
11: out! <laughs> oh,
12: went overboard here. We're well aft near the propellers. The suction would carry into the propeller blades. And... And listen.
11: I can't hear anything except the foghorn.
12: Yeah, but I can. There's somebody walking along the deck. And I can see a flashlight moving in the fog. You're quite right,
13: my friend. You can see a flashlight moving in the fog.
11: Dr. Heinrich, what are you doing here?
13: At the moment, young lady, I'm covering both of you with a revolver. Please don't move.
11: So, you were in the conspiracy, Dr. Heinrich.
13: May I ask you what conspiracy? The
11: whole ship's conspiracy to say Richard Brewster didn't exist.
13: My dear young lady, you can set your mind at rest. There never was any ship's conspiracy against you. The people you spoke to were perfectly honest,
11: including Mr. Marshall, I suppose.
13: Yes, including Mr. Marshall. and what is this? Stand back there.
11: I suppose he was telling the truth when he said nobody came up the gangplank before or after me.
13: I beg your pardon. That was not what he said. He said no passenger came up the gangplank at this time.
11: Well, what's the difference?
13: A great crime is arranged for tonight, young lady. No less a crime than murder.
11: Murder? Who's going to be murdered?
13: You are. What? That, I repeat, is a scheme. But there is no conspiracy and only one criminal.
11: Oh. And who is the criminal?
13: The criminal is the man standing beside you. Your so-called husband.
11: Ricky? You don't know what you're saying.
13: I think I do. Marshall, of course, did see someone walk up the gangplank, loitering behind you. But he never dreamt of associating the person in any way with you. He saw a ship's officer returning from shore leave in civilian clothes.
11: A ship's officer? Yes.
13: Mm-hmm. The man you call your husband, his name isn't Richard Brewster. His real name is Blaney, and he's the first officer of the Moravania.
11: Are you trying to tell the me captain that The my... captain can
13: identify him. He's actually British, though he can fake an American accent very well. He has already got a wife in England, and he is planning to join her with the $10,000 he got from you.
11: I don't believe it. I don't... Ricky, why don't you say something?
13: Oh, he planned it very cleverly, I must admit. He never let you know he was ship's officer, did he? He's been away for some time, naturally, so he persuaded you to marry him in a hurry. Ricky, Ricky, is this true? Yes, the money, you see. All he did was hang a dummy number on the cabin door, remove it later, put on his uniform, and walk away with his own luggage.
11: But Captain Wainwright told us that the first officer had come aboard tonight with...
13: With a bad attack of flu, yes. Our friend couldn't be seen in public until after he disposed of you. The best thing was to convince everybody you were insane, as he did. Then, when you went overboard tonight...
11: They would all believe it was suicide.
13: Exactly. But I began to suspect this Brewster, because you quoted him as telling such an obvious lie. He said he had never traveled in the Mouravania, yet he could direct you all over the ship, and even knew where the person's office was. So he went to his cabin, it empty searched and found your $10,000. Look out, Put it down, your fool! He's Put done. it down! He's over
3: for him!
11: You shot him! You shot him!
13: Your shots, my dear, never touched him.
11: Never touched him?
13: No. The weight of the iron carried him over backwards when he lifted it. It was the weight he was going to use to sink your body. Yes. They sucked you under.
3: Oh, doctor. Oh, doctor, I can't stand this.
13: It won't I be easy, stand. my dear. It won't be easy, I know, but believe me, this this way is better. <laughs>
10: So closes Cavin B13 starring Margot and Philip Dawn tonight's tale of suspense. With our two stars tonight were Dennis Hoy as Captain Wainwright and William Johnstone as Ricky Brewster. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week same time when our star will be one of the screen year's most sensational newcomers, Mr. Gene Kelly. Mr. Kelly will be supported by Hans Conried and William Johnstone. The producer and director of Suspense is William Spear, who with Ludd Gluskin and Lucian Morrowick, conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense.
13: Suspense fans, please note that these programs will shortly move to different days of the week. Suspense will come to listeners in Eastern and Central time zones on Thursdays, beginning December the 2nd, and to Mountain and Pacific time zone listeners on Monday, beginning December the 6th. Remember Thursday, beginning December the 2nd, in Eastern and Central time zone, and Mondays, beginning December the 6th, in the Pacific and Mountain time zones, for Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
15: While the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above, from the mountains to the prairies. To the oceans white with foam, God bless America, my home. From the mountains, to the prairies, to the oceans white with foam, God Bless bless America, my home. Come My-
0: guys that does it for our election night performance i'm sorry to get this out to you guys so late once again but please welcome later on tonight to the show miss eve arden in the cbs comedy show R mrs brooks if you like the show please comment and subscribe You can listen to me now available on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Google, Apple, and wherever else you get your podcasts. I am now available on your Alexa and Google devices. Just say Alexa or Google. I would like to listen to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio podcast and it should pull my podcast right up. This coming Tuesday, guys, please welcome back to the show Mr. Gene Kelly in two more episodes to chill our spines, and then this coming Friday, we bring back to the show Mr. and Mrs. Ozzy and Harriet Nelson. I hope you guys have a great day, and... Please comment and subscribe, guys. Thanks.